Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting truth in a fearlessly authentic way. Today's episode is going to center around Joseph and his time in Potiphar's dungeon. Like Joseph, there are times in our life where we feel like we're in a dungeon and we feel abandoned. That's the title of today's message, Abandoned. And so let's look into the story of Joseph and see what he did when he felt abandoned in the dungeon. Genesis chapter 40, I want to talk to you about this subject, abandon. I'm a victim, is what we hear a lot these days, isn't it? Some rush to those words too quickly and too often. Some claim victim status, regardless of the whole truth to their story. Here's a good little counseling tip. There are always three sides to every story. His side, her side, and the truth. Uh, There are genuine victims, and some of you are sitting here this morning. Those of you who have been dealt unfairly and unjustly. And it happens all around. Children mistreat children. Students in school mistreat other students. Wives mistreat their husbands and vice versa. And pastors mistreat their congregations and congregations mistreat their pastors. There's genuine, unfair, and unjust activities going on where we are a genuine victim. And it's the stories where a person has seemed to do right but was treated so wrong that we tend to say this, why, God? Where are you? I feel abandoned at this moment because I'm doing what is right. I'm trying to to be the husband or be the wife or be the parent or be the child or be the friend or be the worker, and it just seems like I did what was right and I got the shaft. And so we ask that question, don't we? Do we or not? We ask that question, God, why? Why, God? Why? Where are you in these situations? The stories where many people have been severely abused, wives who have been abandoned or or abused, children who are neglected and molested, husbands who are left suddenly by their wives who want their own way and don't want a family anymore, individuals who are falsely arrested, convicted, and put into prison, people who have faced an ugly rumor or faced vicious slander. We're doing what's right and we're treated so wrong. And certainly there are times where abuse and mistreatment must be reported to an authority. But more often than not, you and I that would be claiming victim status maybe in this particular area, someone who did something to us, they didn't really do something that was criminal, but rather it's an unfair experience that's hard to bear. It's an unfair experience that's hard to bear. It's not criminal. I can't go to the police and get them to be or arrest them, but it just feels like it's an unfair experience. I can't have my boss arrested when I've given him my whole four or five years building their career, and then all of a sudden, once the company's where it needs to be, he jettisons me for his buddy. I can't, I can't call the cops on that. But I can feel like I did everything that was right, and God, where are you at this point? And when these times happen, when we're the victim, if you will, when we have been treated unfairly, when we have been the one who was abused... It's at those times that we tend to act in a certain way. Like if we're ripped off, we want to rip back. If we're ripped off, we want to rip in return. Only one, we want to do it worse. We want to get revenge. We want to get even. We wait for the perfect moment and then we pounce. And the greatest test at these times when we feel this way, the greatest test of our experience is the test of our attitude. Our attitude can lead us to a point where we're ripped because we were ripped, where we want to get even because we were wronged. We want to get revenge, where we want to wait for that perfect moment and pounce. Our attitude can determine that, or it can determine for us to do something different. And if we choose to rip because we've been ripped, if we choose to get even because we've been wronged, if we choose to go for revenge or to wait for that moment and pounce, if we choose to wait for that, we're going to feel the confinement of the choice of that attitude that we have chosen. And we'll feel like it literally grabs us and squeezes the life out of us. 
It binds us until we're hostage, unable to be free, unable to even live an enjoyable life. But here's my thought, and here's the question I want to try and answer this morning. How do we square our experiences with the truth that God is good? In the time when I am being mistreated, maligned by, because I'm doing right, and I feel like God's not there, how do I square my experience with the truth that God is good? When my anger wants to be the control of my attitude, when I want to get back at the person for what they've done to me, when I really wonder where God is, and if this is what it means to serve him, I'm not so sure I want to serve him. And in the midst of that anger, we're forced to reconcile our thoughts if we're Christians, if we're believers. We're forced to reconcile our angry attitude choice with words that Peter said. Listen to what he said. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 says, For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? What glory is it that when, when you are buffeted for the things that you did wrong, when, when you're called on account for what you did wrong, and you take it patiently, is there any glory in taking the medicine that you basically ordered through your attitude? Is there any? He says, no, there's no glory in that. But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. That doesn't square away with my choice to be angry. This doesn't square away with my choice of wanting to get even. This doesn't square away with my choice to want to get my saved. If when I'm doing what is right and I suffer for it, God is pleased or it's acceptable with God when I take that patiently. How do I square that away with my attitude? And then Isaiah says some words that just, in Isaiah chapter 55, he says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Look at the contrast in that verse. Look at the contrast. There's a big difference between your thoughts and my thoughts, says God. He says, you have thoughts, but I have thoughts, and there's a big difference. Your thoughts aren't like mine. He says, my ways, the way I choose to do things, are not the ways that you choose to do things. They're higher, they're more profound, they're deep, they're mysterious, and I would add, they're surprising. You see, our human ways are based on what's fair, isn't it? Isn't that true? Our human ways are based on what's fair. We firmly believe that when someone does what is right, rewards and blessings should be the result, right? When I do what's right, rewards and blessings should be the result. Don't we feel that way? We do. If, I, if someone does something right, rewards and blessings should be the result. And we also think that when someone does wrong, there should be serious consequences and maybe even some punishment. But that's our way. It's not necessarily God's way, at least not immediately at times. He's been known to allow some unf unfair treatment to occur in lives of absolutely innocent people for reasons that are profound and deeper than we could ever imagine. And then he slowly steps in. Now that's what we know about our God. That's the truth about God. Outside of our experiences and outside of our attitude and outside of all the things that we think that we have been persecuted for, for doing right or feel abandoned or all the things, we know that God is good and that his ways are not our ways. And though we say to God, well, I don't think it's fair. He says, that's because your way isn't my way. And you're not thinking like I think. And I've got something that I'm trying to work that's beyond you that will even surprise you as I step in. Well, let's catch up with Joseph as we have this sort of as our introduction here. When we last left Joseph, we left him in what I call my first point, Joseph's dungeon. And we're going to, for this, we're going to jump back into chapter 39 and kind of grab the last part here. It says, in Joseph's master, remember, Joseph was accused of trying to have an affair with Potiphar's wife. Now, remember, Potiphar is captain of the guard. He's also the captain of the executioner. He's the chief executioner. 
And so Potiphar comes home, and his wife tells him this tale where she was trying to tempt him this whole time, and Joseph did the right thing. He said, no, how could I do this great injustice? How could I do this awful thing in the sight of God? I can't do this. And by the way, you're not my wife. You're his wife. And she's offended, and she's upset, and so she claims the fact that she was accosted, that she was raped. And when he comes home, Potiphar comes home, he tells the story, and it says the anger in him was, it was kindled. He was, he was angry, which... We're not sure if he was angry at Joseph or he was angry at his wife. It doesn't really tell us. He could have been, and I think it probably is the fact that he was angry at his wife more than he was angry at Joseph because he could have executed him on the spot. He had the authority and he was his property. But he threw him in the best prison. And it says here, it says, And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph has been, had quite a traumatic life up to this point. And when he was on the top of the heap... It all came crumbling down and he went from being the top man from having his own place and probably having servants for himself and being able to just basically act like a free man and to make the best of the situation of being sold into slavery by his brothers. It seems like everything came crumbling down and he's sitting there in a dungeon. And you can't help to think that maybe this crossed his mind. It may cross your mind to ask the question, where was God? We see God in good things. We can even see him in the questionable things. But where is God when all seems unfair? Where is God when the dungeon experiences happen in our life? Does his silence mean that he's absent? Isn't it wonderful that we're not left to wonder? In the midst of this being thrown into the dungeon twice, in three verses, God says the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21 says that he never left. Verse 23, twice it says that God was with him, that he never left him. One person wrote this. This is is just phenomenal. He says this, The lens of God's will stood between Joseph and his circumstances enabling Joseph to see in them, to read God in them, and enabling God to use him in them. What is he saying? He's saying that Joseph looked at his circumstances, his dungeon experience, not through his eyes, not through his thoughts, not through his ways, but it's as if he put on a spiritual set of contexts that were called God's will, and he looked through his circumstances through the lens of God's will, and he was able, as the writer says in this quote, he was able to see God in his circumstances, he was able to read God in his circumstances, and he was enabling God to use him in the circumstances. That's what Joseph did in the dungeon. Why? Because he knew God was with him. He knew the truths of Scripture outweighed his emotions. And even though he was in the darkest, darkest part of his life and everyone had turned their back against him and there was no future for him in the dungeon, he still decided to look through his circumstances, not through his emotions, but through the lens of God's will to see how God was using this and how God could use him even through this horrible situation. When a dungeon experience comes, the quickest and easiest response is to feel like we've been forgotten by God. It's the quickest response to feel like we've been forgotten by God. But first and foremost in Joseph's life, was his vital and consistent relationship with his Lord. And because of that, God used him in strategic and significant ways. Why? Because he looked at his dungeon experience through the lens of God's will. Which takes us to chapter 40. We see, second thing, Joseph's duty. It came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth, 
against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. Now, you know, the butler was sort of like the cupbearer. He was the one who made sure that everything that came to the Pharaoh's lips was going to be just right and it wouldn't be poisoned. There were a lot of people wanting to kill Pharaoh. And so he was a trusted man. The baker was also trusted in the fact that he made his food. He made all his food. And so something happened. We're never told what, but something happened where Pharaoh got mad at these two trusted people. These were trusted people. He sent them off to prison. Verse 3, he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. Who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Now, if you knew that this slave tried to have an affair with your wife, would you give him a trusted position in the prison that you're in charge of? Probably not. But he comes out Joseph and he says, here, here's the chief butler and the chief baker. Here you go. I want you to be in charge of them. Isn't it remarkable how often God brings alongside us people who are going through or have gone through similar experiences? Maybe these guys were unjustly charged. Maybe they were justly charged. We don't know. But they were brought there alongside Joseph. Verse 5, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of the dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Verse 6 tells us a lot about Joseph, doesn't it? No tale of woe from Joseph. No like, oh, let me tell you my troubles. Oh, whoa. It's not Joseph. If anyone, I mean, if you think about it, if anyone had a tale of woe to tell, it's Joseph, right? I've been wronged a few times. And where I am now, I don't deserve to be. I am innocent. Everybody in jail is innocent. But Joseph really was. Joseph really was. But he took time to notice that there was something wrong. And he said, why are you guys sad? He asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the house, saying, wherefore look you so sadly today? They said to him, we have dreamed a dream. And there is no interpreter of it. They are with the interpreter. They didn't know that Joseph could interpret dreams, did they? They didn't come in there and they weren't saying, hey, this is Joseph, the dream interpreter. In fact, up to this point, the only dreams he's kind of interpreted were the, was the ones that he had. He says, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, Doth not, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told the dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches and it was as though it budded and her blossoms shot forth and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, hey, here's the interpretation of it. God gave it to him like that, which tells you that Joseph had to be right with God in prison in order to receive this from God, because God doesn't work in any other aspect in your life when you're not right with him, except you need to get right with me. So he says, hey, I know here's the interpretation. Here it is. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine hand, head and restore thee into thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into thy hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. So he said, here's the dream. Now when, when you're restored and you're in Pharaoh's place, say a little word on my behalf. Now you can imagine that Joseph's kind of thinking, I think maybe God's working here. He had a dream. God gave me the dream. He's going to have the hand of Pharaoh. I think maybe this is the way that I'm going to get out of prison. You can see he's getting his hopes up. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in, in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the upper, uh, uppermost basket there was of all manner of ba baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Well, that's not a happy camper. But 
I think it's so important to notice his response, Joseph's response. Because Joseph decided that in his duty, in a place where he didn't want to be, where he felt that he was in a dungeon experience, he chose to see it through the lens of God's will. And he chose to have, remember we talked about the attitude, a positive attitude about his situation. I don't know why I'm here, and I don't feel I should be here, and I feel like I've been unjustly placed here. But God, if you can use me here, I'm going to allow you to use me. That's what I mean by a positive attitude. I don't mean like, oh, Pollyanna, everything's just great. It's raining on side. Oh, thank God. You know, it's, it's the floods in Louisiana. Well, we do need water. You know, I mean, that's, that's not the Pollyanna positive. I'm talking about just seeing it from God's will and allowing yourself to be used. But having a positive attitude does not mean living unrealistically where you tell everyone nice, upbeat things all the time, whether they're true or not. He gave them, he gave the interpretation, in three days, you're going to be restored. In three days, you'll be dead. You can imagine Joseph kind of confused. Well, that was kind of a weird dream. God, you give me that. Tell him the one guy he's going to live, one guy he's going to die. But God, maybe you're going to use this man. There's two dreams. came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Now, can you imagine Joseph sitting in prison? Things get around in prison pretty quickly. They come to get the butler and the baker on the very day that he interpreted. God, you're working. He restores them to their position. The butler is giving grape juice to the Pharaoh. The baker was hanged. God, this is, your dreams are coming true. Your interpretation is coming true. And there was that last thing I said, remember me there. This is the thing. I am gonna, I'm, I'm about to be delivered from this dungeon experience. God, I know you're going to do it. You can see him getting his hopes up, like we do sometimes. In our, when we're, even in our dungeon experience, when we're dutifully trying to do things, we tend to try and say, well, this must mean this, and this must mean this is going to end, and I'm looking toward the end, and we're not ask, asking God when it's going to end. We just, we're trying to create the end. But notice, thirdly, his disillusion. Verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. And look at verse 1 of chapter 41. And it came to pass in the end of two full years. When the men were released according to the interpretation of the dream, Joseph was probably thinking his time in the dungeon was numbered. And though he had done no wrong, and though he had told the truth, and though he had specifically requested to be remembered, only silence prevailed. We get into our dungeon experience, we feel abandoned, we feel forsaken, we feel left out, victim. We try and see it through the lens of God's will, and we try and participate as well as we can positively and things start to, we start to kind of see some things fall together and we put this hope in that this is going to end soon, this is going to end soon, and then two years go by. And we can't help but feel disillusioned, can we not? We can't help but feel disillusioned at that point. Forgotten. Two years. Two long, monotonous, miserable years. He was forgotten. And though he might, we might complain and think God has forgotten us, Joseph continued to wait, trust, to hope, and to lean on God. Even in that disillusionment of nothing happened, and the next day nothing happened, and the next day nothing happened, he didn't just go back into his prison cell and mope. Joseph's like, I'm going to continue to learn. I'm going to continue to trust. I'm going to continue to lean on him each day. I'm not looking to get this strength for tomorrow. I just need the strength for today. I need the strength from the time I wake up to the time I pillow my head, and then I'll pray for strength more tomorrow. But two years, he was in that situation. Joseph's mistreatment, disappointment, and abandonment resonates with all of us. Unfair treatment, mistreatment comes in many forms. But I think that when we want to bring Joseph's story into our life, I think that we could kind of very quickly put this into four little categories of how we feel 
this particular mystery, how we feel like we've been the victim, how we feel. And I think that we see this in our life. We're not in a dungeon in, in, in Egypt and, and we're not in prison for, having, trying to, for, for being honest and not having an affair with the, the, our, our master's wife and, and we weren't forgotten by the, the butler. Uh, but we have our own little dungeons. We have our own little place. And, and, and I think that this, this abandonment, this feeling of mistreatment, this feeling of disappointment, it, it fits into one of four categories. And number one, it fits into the unfair treatment from family. Joseph had some pretty unfair treatment in his family. I mean, dysfunction is the, the word for his family. They played religious people all around, but down deep they were just rotten from the core. They wanted to kill their brother. And instead of killing him, they sold him for a profit and just lied to their father. You can imagine, you saw, you saw as we looked at the early part of Joseph that it wasn't just a one-time thing, that it was after the dream, it was because the father showed him favoritism, because he gave him the cool-looking coat, because all this kind of stuff. They just hated him the more and hated him the more and hated him the more. And what we feel sometimes is the unfair treatment that we get from our family. Children can mistreat parents just as readily as parents can mistreat children. An abusive treatment within the family takes many forms and leaves many scars. And the dungeon that you are feeling maybe this morning is not the dungeon in Egypt, but it's the dungeon where you feel you've been done wrong by my family. And it's left some pretty deep scars in your life. Maybe it's for what your parents did or what your brothers and sisters did, or maybe it's what your kids have done to you. You just feel the scars. And you're wondering, where's God in all of this? They say there's no pain like family pain, and Joseph sure had his share of family pain. We're glad that you tuned in today. We hope that you'll come back next time to find out more about how Joseph dealt with the different things in his life and how you can deal with the dungeons in your life. If you liked what you heard today and you were encouraged, why not share this on your social media and tell others how they can listen to this podcast as well. Thanks for listening today. We'll see you next time here on the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast.